going on guys michael here 360 digital closing bell i am live from an undisclosed location here in denver colorado coming to you for our week ahead podcast here on monday april 13th 2020 i hope everybody had a good easter i am also joined live from an undisclosed location in dallas by our executive producer of the show and the director and publisher of oil and gas 360 Stuart turley Stu, how you doing today I'm doing fantastic, Michael. Happy Easter. Yes, happy Easter to you. I, we have an unbelievable show lined up for you today. We're going to finally, we finally know what's happened with OPEC, which is very nice. We will get into all of that and what the fallout is. We're going to take a look at just the oil week ahead. Um, we'll check the levels, obviously check in with the commitment of traders, see how that's looking. Uh, we have an insane company to watch. Let's, we're about to throw a bunch of different things at you. Then we'll call Steven, uh, get his thoughts on what's going on with the midstream business. And then we will call Nick and me and him are going to chat hopefully just about what the fallout from some of this OPEC stuff it is a great show I hope you guys enjoy it as much as me and Stu have been putting this together before we get going though we just need to do clerical work first guys if you're not subscribed on iTunes Spotify YouTube Please do that. It's really how only way we get credit for you is if you subscribe and listening. And we appreciate everybody who's done that. But please, if you are already subscribed, unsubscribe, resubscribe, do whatever makes that algorithm go nuts. We appreciate the love. You can find us on Twitter at Entercom and Oil and Gas 360. On LinkedIn, Oil and Gas 360, Entercom. You can find me, Michael Tanner. You can find Stuart Turley. You can also email us. You can find um, any of the emails that you find on our public profiles. The Energy 360 Network on oilandgas.com or 360.com has had so many great interviews and that's something I'm really excited to have been a part of. We're actually going live. We have a virtual happy hour that we'll be doing April 16th at 4 p.m. That's really an energy meets tech intersection. We have a really great panel of uh, you know energy tech uh, venture capitalists who are really going to be able uh, to give us a great idea um, of what the outlook for the energy tech looks like in this environment. And then we also have a CEO of, a, of an oil field services, of a large oil field services company, and formerly a CEO. He's also, he's also formerly the CEO of an operating company. He's really going to be able to give that outlook from an operator and a service company side. How do we navigate this uh, price environment? It's going to be a great event. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll be pushing that out here um, soon. We've also got some great interviews lined up. If you haven't already checked out the Enverness interview we did with Bernadette Johnson, who's the vice president of strategy analyst, she wrote an article on the dark side of the boom it was a tremendous i mean what, what's the views up now on that the, the views were huge on that um i haven't checked but it was over 500 and uh, about 17 within a couple hours it was unbelievable the reaction unbelievable. we got it was unbelievable like Stu mentioned so um with that that that's all our clerical work and we'll go ahead and dive into segment one which is basically just talking about finally what's happened through opec i mean we've um we, we, we spent Thursday's and Friday's show all talking about all of the wild rumors that came out of all of these meetings and, and really what it came down to um, was a, Mex, you know, a, a Mexican standoff between Mexico and the rest of the world. And, uh, you know, when, when you look at the actual numbers that came out, um, I found an article on, on, on fxstreet.com, which is a really good um, if you're specifically trading currency, it's one of the best places I recommend to go find just real-time aggregated news, FX Street. We, they, they don't advertise on us. That was free advertisement right there. So if you're hearing this, anybody at FX Street, you can hit me up, mtanner at intercominc.com. But they do a really good job of aggregating some of the stuff. And they, have this, they, they are a really good article from one of their uh, writers that I think really put in perspective and really broke down exactly what the OPEC terms came out to be from this meeting. I know there were so many rumors, and I'll sort of just read it to you what it was. So according to the terms of the OPEC, uh, of the deal, OPEC Plus will decrease its oil production by 10 million barrels per day from May 1st, 2020 to June 
2020. Then the production adjustment will total 8 million barrels per day from July 1st to December 31st, 2020. This production, excuse me, production adjustment will be followed by a 6 million barrel adjustment from January 2021 to April 30th, 2022 for all countries except Saudi Arabia and Russia. The baseline production cuts is the oil production in October 2018. In turn, Saudi Arabia and Russia will raise their base cuts to a, on to a level of 11 million barrels per day. And what happened with Mexico is this. Mexico offered no more production cuts than 100,000 barrels per day and left without signing the deal. However, there were recent reports as of this weekend suggesting that the U.S. has agreed to help Mexico with the deal. And while there has no, been no official confirmation yet, there are little doubts that Mexico will ultimately join these cuts, and hopefully it will cut production up to that 10 million a barrel thing. So, whoo, long-winded response, but that's what happened. We've got eight, we got 10 million barrels, like requested, but Mexico stupidly hasn't signed the deal, and there's a lot of news that has you know, sort of dropped this weekend to suggest that. Um, I know Stu mentioned that, that, that Trump had some stuff up his sleeve, and do you think this was it? Do you think it was he has a way to help Mexico get these cuts more? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, the man's devious, and uh, I absolutely think that uh, there may be some surprises on that because I think uh, the North America trade – uh, NOPAC may actually come around. Uh, he may put some tariffs on him, but I don't know what Trump's got up his sleeve. I know it's evil. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to, I think, spend next Thursday's or Friday's show, excuse me, doing uh, a deep dive into tariffs. That was something we've been chatting about, and I think that's what we're, we're going to plan on doing. But, you know, really this, you know, really this article mentions that one big thing that I just want to pull out of this was that these cuts are only to prevent prices from falling further, and they're not necessarily meant to increase the price of oil per se. So I think, you know, if, if people are looking at these cuts and saying, okay, well, oil's trading at $22 right now, these cuts should drive it all the way up to 35, 40 levels before this. Well, no, we still have 10 to 20 million barrels that are being left off as a gap in the market, which represents such a huge, huge number. And, and, and the key that I think, you know, I, I want people to latch onto, and this is something that, you know, Bernadette touched on in the dark side of the boom, but unemployment is coming to the overall economy like a train wreck because of this coronavirus stuff. I mean, the latest unemployment numbers are unbelievable. I wouldn't be surprised if we have 15 to 18% unemployment. And, you know, as, as, an, as an economist by trade, one of the first things you, you, you do when you get into sort of a, a college level economics course is you map out unemployment levels with various levels of economic distress. And, Unemployment has a huge indication on how much disposable income people spend, which is how often they go out, how often they drive, how often they physically move around, which is terms of oil demand. So even when this coronavirus, I think, dissipates, maybe in you know a month we'll be able to reopen the streets again and, and businesses will, that's what the, the, the latest talk is. Maybe it's three months, four months, six months, who knows, whenever that time period is, when that happens, you know, the economy is, is going to have been in shambles until that point. No one's going to have any money. So people aren't going to necessarily have the ability to immediately go out and start spending disposable income, a la driving places, consuming right. things in terms of commodities. Um, it's, I, the, I read a statistic the other day that 60% of Americans are a thousand dollar financial crisis or a thousand dollar bill, unexpected bill away from financial ruin. 60% of America. That was before this crisis happened. I mean, there's a reason they're pumping $4 trillion into the economy right now. So I think the, the, the fact that we're, I think we're not focusing as much on unemployment as a top line, that is going to hamper demand for a long period. You know, whether we end up getting into a more prolonged recession that maybe, you know, I don't want to say, I'm not saying the D 
keyword, so don't make me, but a more of a prolonged recession, um, it's going to have a huge, huge, huge impact on total demand. And we still may see a four to 5 million barrel gap once this all steadies out for you know six to seven months, even after the economy reopens, because there are still people working back up to have the ability to just go drive somewhere. I mean, no one's going to be flying. No one's going to be buying plane tickets. No one's going to be taking road trips, even if gasoline is low. But, um, and so that's really, I think the biggest thing that, that I took out of this. Yes, Mexico, you know, as I joke, Mexican standoff, they, they're in, I think. I, I think Mexico, because they're so well hedged, they, 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 they played their card. They said no. And, and, and part of, you know, as Stu mentioned, you know, trick up Trump's sleeve was let's, let's we'll work around that. Let's get you up to the two, three, 400,000 barrel a day to get all of this up to 10 million barrel cuts so we can attempt to rebalance the market. But this doesn't, this doesn't do enough. And really what this does is it, is it leaves, you know, as, as we'll talk in, in the things we're looking for is it leaves an April 14th um, another show off between, you know, us companies, but, um, that's just really, you know, my overall thoughts from OPEC and, and how everything's laid out. I'm not necessarily expect, you know, I think this was a week, you know, depending, you know, if we talk about buy the rumors, sell the news, the rumors were much more spicy than I think what actually got laid out. Now, once this agree, now this agreement that now that it's signed, I think you might see a little more reaction. I think, you know, you, it might take, a, you know, one or two months, but depending on how the coronavirus, I think this will ultimately be a, obviously a boon for oil. We're taking supply off the market, but I'm not sure if this is going to be the, you know, you know, gasoline on the fire in a, in, in a crude example, pun intended, um, to increase pun. the price. Um, so you got crude and gas in there. It was, it was a good one. So we'll make sure that we'll make sure not to cut that one out of the recording. Um, so that's really my overall thoughts on OPEC, Stu. I don't know if you have anything else. You know, that was good to just kind of get off my chest and rant for a little bit about, about OPEC. Um, and we're definitely going to chat with Steven about this because he mentioned to me something very interesting that we'll have to bring up. And, and we'll definitely get Nick Barry's thoughts on it later. They will be joining the show for an iTunes exclusive. But uh, anything else you need, you need to before we move on to uh, This Week in Oil? I think your rant was very accurate. So uh, rant away, Michael. Awesome. So, and that really is just going to move us into segment two. And we're just going to talk about um, the week ahead in oil trading. And as always, you know, these numbers are sponsored uh, by Sandstone Capital Group. These guys do insane, great, these insanely good research. They provide all the data for the show. Rumor has it they're, they're about to launch an energy newsletter. And I think they've named it too. So once that information is public, I'll make sure to get that through you. If you do new want to work with these guys, they're very easy. Just go to sandstonecg.com. Then everything, their contact information is all right there. I highly recommend them. Let them know you came through the podcast. A, it's how we get credit. It's the only way we get credit. And B, they'll cut you a deal because they're good guys over there. So we get ahead in oil. Really, the things I'm looking for is we're obviously we're looking for Mexico to officially sign the deal. Rumors are that they're going to sign the deal. We need that deal to actually be signed. And then I think you're actually going to see that slight bump up in oil. But until they sign it, it'll be very interesting. The next step is another showdown, and this is between the U.S. Mar and this is between the U.S. operators, and specifically Pioneer and Parsley, who have come up and said, "Hey, we would like to we, we would like Texas to reenact Proation, which is, hey, we're going to manage the level of production from a statewide level." That hearing's April 14th, and who knows what's going to happen because Exxon and Oxy, you know, on the other side of the equation, have come out and said we do not think we should cut production. We should continue to produce, and we should allow the free market to decide. And you know, if you're making me take a side, I'm, I'm a free markets guy, and I have a hard time telling you that we should really cut production um, from a from a legal standpoint. Um, 
we are living in unprecedented times. So I see the, see the argument for it. I just think it should be a company by company decision. I think you're already seeing that happen. I mean, if, if you've been watching the EIA reports, I mentioned this in my Wednesday um, digital ticker, you should be watch the level of crude production week to week. It's already dropping 600,000 barrels was last week. I bet you will see another 600, you know, 400 to 600,000 this week. That's, that's the free market working. Now it takes a little bit of time for that to happen because you can't just shut in wells quickly, but I think naturally you're going to see wells get shut in. I think, I think why you're seeing this, this idea get a lot of traction is because of the storage issue that Stu has covered tremendously on this podcast and that we've talked a little bit about. We, we talked to Steven last week about that, which is awesome about, you know, that's really where the, I think the proation is comes in and if we think storage is filling, is going to fill up even with the natural production cuts that the free market, then I think, yeah, you can get me on board. I mean, I'm very open to, I, I tell people this all the time. I'm open to changing my mind if you give me good data. So, you know, I, I think the one data point that would swing me on this would be how fast are we going to fill up the storage and how fast is the rate of natural production decline that we're going to see because of this price decline. So it'll be very interesting. And, if, and I think that's the key and that's what we're looking for. Maybe I'll see if I can put together some models we can share with it on the next week's podcast. But that's what I'm looking for, Stu. What do you think? Should Texas be cutting mandate and production from a federal level or government level? Um. I hate mandates. Um, I think that the mandates or the tariffs should come from uh, the feds and then let the market handle it internally. So uh, I don't think that they should. Uh, when we go through our companies, uh, maybe we can talk about um, Pioneer. Uh, they got some numbers on their chart as well. So we've got a couple others to look at, but maybe you can bring that one up. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about Pioneer here, but but yeah, so I, I think you know, I think it would be an interesting, you know, I'm, I, I would, you know, if you have, you know, like I said, as a trader, you have to make a buy or sell decision, even if you're not 100% either way, but I'm, also, I'm selling this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Stu. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Michael. Think about this though. When would you have ever guessed that Texas uh, would be considered as powerful as a country in OPEC discussions? Um, yeah. What I just think is crazy is that Ryan Sitton is a, sitting Texas Railroad Commissioner is advocating Texas becoming basically a cartel. It's just fascinating to see the dynamics yes. here. It's just fascinating. I would have never guessed that Texas, there would be this much steam that you would have two large companies, Pioneer and Parsley, on record as saying, we want Texas to mandate that everybody cut production. That, I think, in and of itself is unprecedented. Right. Well, you know what? Texas has uh, got a constitution that says we can secede from the union. So, why not? You, you do, I mean, I'll leave all the Texas Constitution stuff up to you. You are, as we, uh, as we joke, live from an undisclosed location in Dallas. So I'm a Texican. So yeah, I love it. So um, from that standpoint, it'll be very interesting. We will be covering that meeting on April 14th. Like it's nobody's business. We will have all the rumors for you out, out on the digital closing bell. So make sure to be subscribed at www.oilandgas360.com. Just another shameless plug for our stuff. You know, really, when on the outlook for the week, I'm you know I'm short oil just as as you know, and and when I say that, that's more of a bias. My bias for the week is I'm short oil. Um, I, I think anytime I look to get into position, I'm going to say, hey, is this? I'm going to be biased towards the short side. I'm long energy equities from a bias standpoint. I just think that with all this, you know, from an equity side, the stimulus money starting to flow in. Um, over 600 billion Bank of America did this uh, last week in, in PPP loans, which is the Payment Protection Program loans, uh, which basically provide free rent you, as long as you, as long as a business owner uses it on rent, utilities, 
um, and payroll. Um, it acts as a quasi grant. Otherwise, it's a two percent, one percent yield at about a two, uh, two to three year maturity rate. I don't quite have the numbers in front of me, but I was looking at them yesterday. So, and they did about six hundred. Bank of America did about six hundred billion of that just last week. So, money is getting pumped into the economy, which just helps the equities market in general because this stuff always flows at least some point through the stock market. Um, so I think I, I think my bias on energy equities is going to be long. It's going to be actually, you know, not to not to my pick of the week is actually the XOP contract. So you get a little free news before we get into it. Um, just because I'm that's my bias all week is I'm just I'm I'm long energy equities solely because I think the equities market is just going to be up. I think you're going to see some good news come out. Um, on the coronavirus side, um, President Trump is talking about this week. They want to reopen um, the economy at the end of the month, and that's what they're pushing towards, and that's what some of the data says. So, if that really is some of the news that drops, that's only going to be a boon for uh, boon for the stock market, especially when we talk about the equity side. We went over the levels of the week, but I just want to run through uh, my Thursday podcast. But I want to run through them again. If you're a bull, twenty four fifty. Uh, 85, I think is your first level, 2655, and then 2828, I think are your three levels on the upside to watch for, depending on how that news drops. If you're a bear, $23.53 is really your swing point. I know currently the market is um, market's closed, 2276. You're, you're, that's close enough to your that pivot point that I think we're just going to set that as, I think, is my swing level on the upper downside, whether I'm bullish or bearish for the week. Um, 2251 and 2039, I'm eyeing 2251. Um, as the level that I think we're going to bounce off of. So if you are a bear or if you are a bull this week, I think you should let this market depress a little bit. Let it get down to either that 2250 or even all the way down to maybe that 21, 20, uh, 20, 39 level I'm talking about before you then get in on a long. Um, but it'll be very interesting. Commitment to traders, uh, pretty normal stuff this week. Producers, merchants, longs, they, uh, um, they're up 13,000 contracts and 13,000 on the short side as well. Really what came back in balance was swap, swaps on the long side dropped by 13,000 contracts. Remember for the last two weeks, our swaps on the long side have been up. Uh, about 10,000 contracts, which is very interesting because in a depressed price, swaps are very difficult to get in because they're very expensive. The cheapest type of insurance in this environment is to do some sort of collar or just buy single put. So you're finally seeing those swaps swing back into place like they normally would. 33,000 swaps on the short side. That balance, you know, to give you an idea, there's only 126,000 contracts for swaps on the long side to about 66. Uh, uh, 666,000 swaps on the short side, which is, you know, that's the number you normally see because generally you're trying to swap, you're generally swapping production, you're, you're generally swapping a lower production number um, for a lower oil price because you're just giving up that marginal cost to try to lock in some revenue from an accounting side. But it's really nice to see the swaps on the long side dropping. That's generally what you see. Managed money got long on oil this week and they cut a bunch of their short contracts, which is very interesting. Now, I, I don't necessarily think hedge funds do a necessarily good job of trading oil, but managed money it's long on oil at 22 bucks. So, you know, if you do like to know what the institutional guys are doing, um, they're long oil and they're cutting from their short side. Um, to give you an idea, they're 270,000 contracts long on oil. It's only about 91,000 on the short. So very interesting on that end. Um, and that's really what I'm looking for at oil this week. Um, you know, obviously, um, if you have any updates or, or have any levels you want me to look at, please reach out to me at M Tanner and Intercom Don Inc. But really what we're going to do is we're going to flip over to the little share screen and, and our company of the week, um, really because really are turning into sort of some of our picks of the week. And, and this is just from a bias standpoint. Tomcat's got some great stuff for Stu's got some great stuff to talk about. And then I want to talk a little bit about my pick of the week. And we're going to go ahead and start um, with Tomcat's suggestion. Stu, can you tell me a little bit about what Tomcat's got for us? Uh, Tomcat's got really two of them, and uh, when you take a look at Devin, uh, let's go to DVN cool. and Devin. 
So I'm on my wrong chart here. So if you guys, just to give you guys an example, you're looking at my screen right here. If you're on YouTube, this is my, I have two, I have two separate charts here. I have a day trading chart where I'd map out all of our levels here. So I'm not lying to you. I've got these levels mapped on my, on my chart. For those of you listening on the podcast, um, I also keep a research chart and both of these are open source. I will give them away. So I just was wanted to let everyone, I'm slipping over to the research one, which has a little, um, just other stuff for us, but we're looking at Devin. Yes, uh, Devin. Now, Devin is not necessarily one for a long time. If you take a look at their uh, the technical stuff, they are rated as sell right now. So it might be one to take a look at day trading. Their chart looks fairly uh, awful. Um, but on the other hand, it looks like they've got some announcements coming around the corner and he's got it tagged to watch. Yeah. So, and, 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 and what, and, and what I think he's looking for on Devin is something simple. I mean, he's looking at the, as the moving averages, our green line here is our 50 day and our, or excuse me, our 200 day and our, and our white is our uh, 50 day. I think yes. what he's seeing is the convergence on that. You can see the distance they were apart. Um, one of the best algos you could run is just mapping the distance between these at all times. And you can make some very interesting trades of that. What he's also looking for is the moving is so the moving averages, they've all turned from five to 20. They'll turn to a buy sign. Um, when you're looking at a day trade, which is, you know, in my mind, anywhere from 10 seconds to maybe a week, really what you're looking at is the shorter term moving averages, obviously from a, from a long side and in a, in a ICMO cloud baseline, they're not really showing anything, but the short side, uh, excuse me, on the, the, the easier side, which is maybe the swing trade side. I think there's um, some room there. And I like this pick from uh, Tomcat. You bet. And got a couple other here's just to take a look at Geopark. And it is GPRK, uh, Jim Park. Uh, Geopark is a longtime presenter at Intercom and the oil and gas conference. They are fabulous people. Michael, you and I have always talked about good management, good numbers. They not only are good management. Jim is one of the upstanding. Love talking to him. He is a neat guy. Take a look at their numbers. Uh, they are also on the moving average looking at coming up. While they are in the small cap uh, type of environment, they are in a different uh, zone. They're in South America. South America is not having the same issues uh, and being yes. affected. And so they're a bit isolated on this. Now, Colombia has $4 billion that they're putting into EMP and exploration to help get them uh, away from being oil import. Take a look at Geopark. It's got some good stuff. The simple moving average is rolling into a buy. Tell me what your thoughts are. Yeah, I, I see two things. Well, one, obviously, I, I, energy equities, most of them are going to be looking positive in that short-term chart, partly why one of my picks is just going to be taking that whole OA, o, o, uh, XOP contract as a whole. But really what I'm seeing out of um, Geopark is two things. One, RSI is still trading above 58, but it's turned around. So I don't like that. MACD flipped around, which is really good. You like to see this above one. But really, when I look at a long-term company, and specifically, so they're in South America, that means they're going to be a little isolated from some of this stuff. Columbia, he just, Stu, some of them mentioned Columbia. Look at the market capitalization compared to the debt. Some of the, this is some of, this is a very good, man, uh, very well-managed company, Stuart. 
uh, mentioned because, and it's shown in the debt, only 450 million um, in net debt to an enterprise value of about 1.6 billion. You can get credit financing based upon that number alone right there. They're going to have access to capital to be able to continue to do things. And they're in an isolated situation. Like we mentioned, Chile, Brazil, Colombia, Peru, Argentina, Ecuador, and they're more of a corporate, you know, they have, you know, really incredibly are founded in Franklin Park 2002 and they're headquartered in Chile. So, you know, really, I like these guys as a longer term play um, because I think they're going to, to, to stick around. And when you look at the financials from, and then that's when I, you know, I look at the financials when I'm looking at a longer term play. Okay. You know, in the short term, I'm not as much concerned about how much debt a company has if I'm just day trading them, unless I think they're going to go bankrupt tomorrow. Um, but if I'm looking at a long term and say, hey, is there a value stock I can buy and hold maybe for a year to see if I can get some really nice value? This is what I look for in terms of the market capitalization and the financials. And I love, love Geopark. So this is a great pick, Stu. I'm really glad you brought it um, up. You know, Michael, our theory or theme is good management, good numbers. Great management here. Great financials for long term. And they're a little bit isolated from the panic going on and what we've got. The other one, I've got two that kind of fit into um, our Bernadette interview that you were on and, and help ask some great questions on with the uh, Inverescent interview. Let's take a look at Chenier Energy, which is LNG. Bernadette talked about because of the way things were flipping around that we may see $4 natural gas. Taking a look at the charts and the stats on LNG, um, the techs, uh, the tech info on it is actually coming in pretty good on the, uh, it's coming in as re rating as a buy, even on the exponential averages, but Mike, give me your thoughts on those, Michael. So on a, on a swing trade level, the moving averages are definitely giving us a buy. Why I like them specifically is like I mentioned, they're in natural gas. I like to work from the source back. If natural gas is going to be $4, who benefits from that? I want to find companies who are transporting natural gas, specifically out of that Marcellus and Utica. Um, I'm looking for companies that engage um, service companies that engage with natural gas companies. There's some, you know, there are some specific uh, small cap public companies that I'd love to talk about once I do a little more research on that. I that are that 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 build say natural gas compressors that do things that I think we're going to have massive volumes of natural gas that we're going to have to do with. And really, when you look at the Chenier Energy, you know, right now it's actually a great entrance point. It's finding support at that 200 uh, that 200 day moving average, which is a great entrance point. I mean, really to the upside when you look at the volume. You know, when I talk about volume on all my podcasts. This is what I'm just looking at. What's the vol? How much volume is traded at each level? It's called the, um, and white. This red line is what's called a point of control, which means it's where the most volume in this range where it's been traded on. So if you just look, it makes you very easy to map out some of these levels. Right now we're trading in a huge volume chunk. So if this is so this is a, what I would call a value zone to get in on because it's going to spend a yep. lot of time hanging out here because there's a lot of people willing to buy and sell in this zone. So you can really pick a great entrance point. And when this puppy either you know if, if you're bullish on this like, like like we are because of the fact that natural gas we're expecting to see that price just continuing to increase. I think you've got forty. And $52, or excuse me, $45 and $50 is really your two. If you were to talk about zones that you'd want to exit this trade, I think those are two great levels. And I love this pick, specifically for the fact that Stu mentioned these guys, it's working backwards from our theory on if natural gas from Bernadette is really going to be $4, who benefits? You bet. And then uh, taking a look at a holistic approach to uh, the market. Uh, natural gas is going to be a play because of all of the things that you had talked about, lack of travel, all of those. Let's take it one step further into another part of the energy market, and that's power generation. As we take a look at power generation, 
let's take a look at coal. There's going to be a slowdown in the coal-fired uh, plants to natural gas-fired plants because if natural gas is going up, mm -hmm. you're going to have right now coal's really low. And let's take a look at the numbers on uh, console energy. I want your opinion on it. It's CIX. The buy on it and the techs are really swinging toward the buy side when you're looking at the simple moving average and the exponential moving average. Uh, what are your thoughts here, Michael? Um, you know, I like it. Um, I, you know, we're still going to need to provide energy to people. And, and right now, if, if there are forced shut-ins, you know, coal is a viable option that we have to convert, uh, in, you know, to, make, to create electricity because that's, all, that's what we're looking for. So um, I think now, you know, you might see a slight resurgence in the coal markets just because I think you're going to see some of that volume getting purchased, especially if some of this crude oil is getting turned off. Now, that being said, it was very interesting to see how coal reacts with natural gas rising, because if there's this excess volume of natural gas um, because of the fact that it's $4 and there's this race to produce it, it'll be interesting what happens. But if natural gas is $4, that means that there's the, the supply of it is not very, is not very good. And meaning we're going to have to find that energy from somewhere. I think you're going to see a, an appreciation of, of specifically other types of energy minerals. And I think Stu brought up coal is a great idea from a technical perspective. You know, it's, it's day, you know, it's spiked up very significantly. I think due to the fact that people are starting to realize that um, I think there's really good volume chunks. The fact that it's a $5 stock means that you can get a great number of them too. So you can, you know, even if you're seeing a 50 cent increase, you can, you know, you can get in at 400 shares and, 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 and get a nice 25% raise just on a, you know, say 50 cent move up to $6 where, you know, cause really it's a huge volume chunk from here. I see, you know, obviously it looks like there's $7 up there from a technical standpoint, Stu mentioned averages have turned around on us. I like our average directional index showing a buy. That's one of my favorite symbols to look at. Um, the other thing is, you know, you can see this tightening on the squeeze. MACD has turned around, which is always a good sign. RSI is telling us that it's a sell, which is interesting. So, obviously, as always, you get conflicting information on both sides. But I like it. I, you know, if you if if, if you're telling me if if I'm long, short, coal, I'm long. I I'm I'm bullish on it because I do think there's we're still going to need energy. And if you know natural gas is four dollars, it'll be very interesting to see how much of that with the shut-ins are getting produced. All right, moving over to to, to really my pick of the week and. It sort of just sums up, I think, what everybody was talking about um, because I, I came into this and just was really interested in looking at um, XOP. I, I'm, as I mentioned in segment one, I'm bullish on equities this week because I think the stimulus money is really starting to get injected into the economy. And I think you're going to see a stimulus round three and four being passed very quickly. So I'm bullish on equities, which gives me a bias on energy equities to be slight on the bull side. And when I looked at the charts um, this morning while I was uh, putting this all together, um, it, it really gave me some interesting stuff to look at. So really what I like here, um, I like here is these averages are coming closer. The 200 is moving and has and now turned north. Really what we've seen though is there's this squeeze point right here. So if you, I draw, if I go ahead and draw a rectangle here and I, and I take this, you can see how there's this big volume chunk right here. And if I squeeze that in a little bit, big volume chunk right here. And the moving average is the 50 sitting on top with the 200 on bottom. We'll take a look at that. That's a channel right there that I believe that we're going to be able to get a nice entrance point with XOP tomorrow. You're going to see it, I think, bounce off the top here, come back down. I really think $40 is a great entrance point. And I think what's going to happen is when some of this stimulus money news comes out Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, what you're going to see is this rise back up. And we see that nice flush point right here up at $43, $44. That's what I would look for. 
um, in the energy equity space specifically. And I think if you're going to play it safe and, and, and not pick a company, I think playing XOP this week is a good idea. Like I said, I think you can get it at a $40 level. Watch it bounce off that 50 day at the top right here and see if it can depress back down and we can pick it up down at that 40, you know, 40, 70 level, I think is really good. Um, but with all of this, as remember, we don't give investment advice. We just give our biases because that's what we do here. And with that, I'm looking at the clock here and we have Steven on the line. We ended up giving him a call first this week. As you guys know, Steven Barrow is the owner and operator of Patronus Energy, one of the top midstream consulting companies in the continental United States. They do everything from design, structure, everything. If you have a midstream question, please run it by Steven because that's what we do on this podcast. We bring in him here every week to talk about what the midstream business is doing and, and what the outlook looks like. And Stephen, really, you know, I, before we get into the midstream side of it, I really want to give you the opportunity just to talk about the OPEC deal and what you think the fallout from that's going to be. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's been uh, <laughs> it's been a packed week for sure. Um, a lot of people watching this OPEC deal, and um, you know, it's just kind of interesting. Like, I know Mexico hasn't signed yet, but uh, you know, the, there's chances that they could compliant the deal could come together which might you know would be a good thing um it's interesting that uh you know mexico for a time has been in the limelight right that that's not a very common thing <laughs> so because uh, they're not one of the top 10 world producers of of oil so they typically in this space don't you know throw a, a you know a bunch of leverage around but um here i guess they enjoyed you know 24 hours worth of limelight so it's kind of crazy yeah, no, and, and I mean, really, the, the the big thing with Mexico that I've been preaching to people is they're just well hedged, and this is about the only ace they can play. They played their ace by not signing it, and now the fact that the reports are suggesting that they're that the U.S. is going to help with the deal and that they're expected to sign, I mean, they don't have any. It's all they had was we're going to hold out. So no, I think I think we're going to overcome this, and the and these cuts are are here. But uh, um, our uh, you mentioned this to me last, you know, a, a couple of days ago that um, OPEC has a cheater in their midst. What do you think of their agreement that they're going to go along with this? Do you trust them? And, and who is this cheater? Oh, yeah. Um, so first, let's we'll name the, the cheater, right? So Russia has been cheating for, for some time now. Um, interesting thing, I think, you know, I think there's a little bit of confusion as to like what has caused you know, the price to, to be depressed. I think a lot of people, um, they know the, the power that OPEC as an organization has wielded in the past. And so, um, you know, a lot of folks just kind of gripe and complain that, you know, the, this cartel is causing all these low uh, commodity prices or they're all just flooding the market. But really, like, if you take a step back and look at like macroeconomic principles, right? Like a monopoly um, in an economy is someone who's a price setter, right? And and typically it's in their best interest to produce less than what the market is demanding mm. or what, what like the efficient market position would be. And as a result, because they're producing less, the price is going to be higher. Um, and in this case, uh, we have a cartel, which really, I mean, a cartel is defined as a, a group of independent firms, or in this case, nations who uh, collude and talk back and forth between what their production numbers are going to be um, so thereby, this group of independent entities operates as one monopoly. Um, and so that's what OPEC is. It's a cartel. And, and so if the cartel was truly functioning the way a cartel should function, you know, the production would already be cut back and prices would already be a lot you know, higher than they are mm -hmm. today. The problem is, is that cartels can be fragile, finicky things. And so um, 
you know, when one player stands to gain something from cheating on the cartel and producing more, like Russia, for example, um, they have a lot of incentive to do that. So that's exactly what Russia's done. Um, and I mean, that, that kind of self-interested behavior is a beautiful thing in a, a free market society. I mean, it, it drives the, the production and the prices to go to their most efficient point. Um, but there's some market distortion here based off of like a cartel colluding and then a cheater within that cartel. And so, um, mm-hmm. like within OPEC nations, you got um, several people like Saudi Arabia can produce oil for real cheap. And so they're still making money when I mean, they can make money when uh, crude is worth less than $20 a barrel. So can Russia, by the way. But you got other countries like Venezuela, Brazil. Um, I mean, they're they're hurting under this environment. Like you can, uh, there's a really good article put out by the Wall Street Journal uh, not too long ago about like what's the cost per barrel of oil product produced in different countries. And so um, Brazil is pretty expensive. It's above thirty dollars a barrel, and Venezuela's right right there. I think it's twenty eight, twenty nine dollars a barrel. So um, you know they're members of this cartel and they're the ones that are losing out. So again, it just adds to this tension. Well, you can't, not even the fact that just to break even on barrels, but the problem is you look at a lot of these OPEC nations and a majority of the government revenue is founded from oil prices. So if you're, you know, it's not, I think a lot of people say, you know, Venezuela is like a hundred barrel oil that they need to balance their federal budget. That's that's the number that concerns me. You know, yeah, they can produce it for thirty, but they their their overall government is such in shambles that that a lot of some of these OPEC nations need very very high oil prices in order to sustain government revenue debt that they already have taken out. Saudi Arabia um, is one of the only countries that actually the, the, the they spend within their budget. So no, I think you bring up a good point, but I definitely want to say you know some of these countries it's a lot more than just twenty thirty dollars a barrel because they've got government revenue that they've tapped into credit lines it's unbelievable mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> crazy yeah, and i find like in all this mix that uh, for mexico to be uh, again like in the limelight it's kind of crazy it, interesting that last week we were um we were talking about uh, you know napec it's kind of like half joking the north american uh petroleum exporting countries um like this discussion about the theoretical formation of a competing cartel and how mexico would be a, uh, a part of that so um kind of fun and kind of interesting to kind of muse on that given the recent events yeah and i want to and i want to point people to www.patronusenergy.com that is uh where there's a cool landing page where you yourself have thrown up a, a pretty cool um napec image drawing where we're getting people to vote on what they think their logo should be we're trying to get some merch spun up work is it was is that the right address is that where they can go find all that information yeah, exactly. www.patronus, that's like P-A-T-R-O-N-U-S, energy.com uh, forward slash NAPEC, N-A-P-E-C. Uh, and that's where you can you can go uh, throw in your vote on which of the, the three logos you think uh, you'd like to see. Um, and then we're working up a, uh, a limited edition swag hat. And so. Sorry. Hey, you cut out there for a second. Shoot. Um, can I, so I'm just going to ask you about uh, NAPEC again, or I'm going to ask yeah. you, I'm, I'm just going to start over at NAPEC. So, um, cool. one, one thing I want to, I want to point people to, cause I want to get your thoughts on the midstream uh, business outlook next week, but I just want to, we want to point people where you're running a NAPEC logo campaign on your website. Tell people how to get to it. Yeah, exactly. So go to, 
www.patronusenergy.com. That's uh, P-A-T-R-O-U. Um, <laughs> sorry, I forgot how to spell my own company name. No, you're good, man. Here we go. Sorry. I, uh, um, yeah, I want to get your thoughts on the midstream business um, outlook for this next week. But before we do that, I want to just – you're running a really cool promotion on your website on the back of uh, some uh, quorum data interview that we ran with Olivia Terry who talked about um, maybe forming some kind of NAPEC. Tell me a little bit about what you got going on over there. No, yeah, absolutely. So uh, NAPEC, acronym stands for North American uh, Petroleum Exporting Countries. It's kind of, it's kind of this theoretical uh, competitor to OPEC, right? Uh, we mocked up a couple of different – um, you know, logos on what, you know, what could represent NAPEC. And so it's on, it's on our website. You can get to it at www.patronusenergy.com. That's uh, Patronus, P-A-T-R-O-N-U-S, energy.com forward slash NAPEC, N-A-P-E-C. Um, and yeah, go there and vote on which logo you like best. Um, we're working up, based on what, what the votes come in at, we're going to work up a limited edition swag hat. It's going to be sweet. So uh, make sure you get your votes in and, um, and then look for that hat. Oh, I, want, I want my hat, but uh, so let's move into just sort of the outlook for the midstream business. Uh, any thoughts you've got that you need to keep people updated on? Absolutely. Yeah. So with all the focus being on OPEC this week, I think there's a couple of key movements that people um, have probably missed and need to be aware of. And one of those is, uh, in the midstream space, uh, something that's unique, it's really never happened, uh, which is that the percent market share of um, you know, the midstreamers, if you, you can look at it and split into three different categories. One is just uh, MLPs or master limited partnerships and the market share that they hold um, compared to U.S. C-Corps um, compared to Canadian mm-hmm. C-Corps. And so uh, we just got the data back this week. Uh, and it's looking back at the month of March, but for the first time ever in the month of March, uh, Canadian C-Corps now hold more market share than their U.S. counterparts. That's, so that's a big shift. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can see, and some of that's because um, there's been shifting in the MLP structure. Um, some people, like typically there's a, a parent company that sponsors an MLP, and some of those parent companies have been purchasing uh you know, their subsidiary MLPs, uh, and so converting to C-Corps. Uh, and so, like, in 2015, 2016, you saw, like, the peak of MLPs, and it's been steadily declining since then. And some of it, like I said, through M&A activity. Um, but yeah, on the Canadian, compared to U.S. C-Corps, um, you know, giving you a sense for, like, 2019, Canadian midstreams had 29% market share, which was on par with U.S. companies. Well, now they have... 38% market share and U.S. counterparts have 27%. So wow, uh, kind of crazy. <laughs> and nuts. what's what's unique is that they've been outperforming their U.S. counterparts in this downturn. And so while all midstream companies have been pressured in this depressed commodity environment, um, you know a lot of Canadian names have have done. You know, like they're down too, but they haven't gone as far down as um, their U.S. counterparts. Like Two big names to watch, Enbridge uh, and TC Energy. They've declined mm-hmm. only by 23% and 7% respectively, while wow. um, the AMUS index as a whole has declined by 52%. So if, you don't, if you're not familiar with the, um, AMUS or 
um, AMUS index. That's a, a basket of U.S. midstream companies. And, um, you know, they're all capped, float adjusted, and um, they all deal with, well, again, in the midstream space. So some of the companies that are in that basket are the ones that we've touched on before, mm-hmm. like Magellan or, or One Oak, Kinder Morgan, okay. or Tallgrass. Or, Interesting. Um, kind of cool. Kind of cool. Yeah, no, very interesting. And, and and so, you know, we don't give him investment advice, but Steven's pick of the week and bridge. I like it. Um, I, I gave earlier, right, yeah. earlier in the show, I gave my pick. I'm just long. I'm long the XOP contract, which is just the EMP securities contract. I just think the equities market's going to be up um, this week. And I think it's just, you're going to see this OPEC deal. People are going to be like, ah, oh, well, uh, oil's really depressed right now. I think there's a two, $3 rise in that contract. So I'm bullish on just the entire this week, at least um, my bias is towards the bull side. So we'll pick up, we'll throw Enbridge into that. I like it. Nice. Yeah. And like they reaffirmed in their March investor presentation that their 2020 EBITDA guidance is, is uh, still in, in place. So they still stand behind it. Even better. And with cool. that, um, I need to keep, you know, I'm going to task you with right now. Earnings season is just around the corner, man. You are going to be our go-to source for midstreams earning stuff. So start preparing, my friend. I'm already getting my stuff together. It's going to be busy, busy, busy time for the podcast. Right on. Yeah. Awesome. I'm here for well, Stephen, I appreciate you joining me and we will make sure to check back in this weekend. Thank you for taking your time and a uh, happy Easter. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Talk to you later. Great stuff there from Steven, and the other line is already hot with Nick Barry. Nick is our financial expert. He brings a really great perspective, I think, to the whole energy finance game, especially with his experience on the upstream and midstream side of the finance business when it comes to oil and gas. And Nick, like I told Steven before, before we got into the main chunk of our segment, I just want to give you the opportunity. Give me your thoughts on OPEC and what you think is happening moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh crazy times i mean we're on the the biggest oil production cut ever uh what's looking like to be this month um you know opec cutting uh at least 10 million barrels it's really interesting um play and how it's played with the virus in my opinion i think it it shows how most of the countries like uh, not unlike the u.s kind of in underestimated the impact that this virus could have. And so, you know, you have Russia and Saudi originally kind of taking the stance of we're going to hurt U.S. shale and, and keep low prices in this time. And then, and then people are realizing, man, this, uh, the supply and demand, the demand is not looking great. We've got way too much supply. So um, it's almost looking, in my opinion, like it's, it's going to be too little too late as far as, cuts go i think you're just gonna have still a huge oversupply in the market um i think mexico is interesting they're like that guy you know you got everyone on the same page and then they and then they're the they're the only one that's uh you're all in the uber and you've figured out exactly where you're going you've told the driver he's inputted into his system you're halfway there and you've got one guy in the back "Mm, can we actually do this no i know what you mean unbelievable i i won't make the same cat joke i made in the earlier segment um, with Steven, but no, you hit it exactly on the head. Mexico messed this whole thing up. Yeah. It's, you know, it's kind of calm. I mean, you get these, like all these world leaders together and there's a big power play and, and it's like, come on, you gotta, you gotta speak up before you're almost at the destination in the Uber. Right. 
But, exactly. Um, and what's crazy is the reason why Mexico's able to do this is because of, you know, what we talk about a lot, especially in our segment, which is hedging. They are so well hedged as an oil, as, as a country um, that they're able to do this. And, I, you know, really, we need to get that guy who set that hedge profile, whoever that banker was who did their hedge. <laughs> we need to get them on the show and have them do some educations and have them do some education to our listeners. Yeah. I mean, I can learn Spanish if that's what we need to do, but uh, we get them on the show. I'd love to. I'm sure we could all learn from that. Um, so, yeah, really interesting. And then my other takeaway, the, the, the U.S., you know, Trump to try to ease Mexico back into some agreement is just throws out numbers like, yeah, we'll cut, we'll cut production. And, and I don't know how that look. I mean, that's pretty crazy. And in, in times when you've got so many operators here struggling, um, private and public companies, <laughs> the thought of that thrown around is, is also not a, is a very com- comforting if you're an ENP company right now. Not at all. And this impending battle that we have coming here, April 14th, um, when Pioneer and Parsley's um, proration in Texas comes up between the board of the Texas Railroad Commission. That's going to be very interesting because really, you know, we've talked about this before, but, you know, like I said, I see this war going on between companies that want production cut and country or not countries, excuse me, states that want it cut and companies specifically and then companies that don't. And it, it'll be, it'll be crazy to see what happens with all this. Yeah, Absolutely. And it's just unprecedented times and there's, it's, you got so many different parties involved. It's, oh man, I can't imagine trying to get everyone to come to some agreement on this. And then that's, that's one thing, but then you also have to realize how uh, the clock is ticking and very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got to act quick. Yeah. Two things. One, I mentioned the, I, I, on, on the podcast on Thursday, I would have loved to be on that, that Zoom conference call that I'm sure happened for the OPEC meeting. Imagine that scenario. They're all sitting in their little rooms with their virtual backgrounds hung. Like I was, it was giving me a hoot when I was thinking about like, they're doing this over Zoom or something of that nature. It would have, been, I would have loved to have tapped into that yeah. meeting. Man, you, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Zoom call, it's like you probably got some, got, you know, some world leaders uh, first, first time on Zoom. They don't, they don't, they're not, they're not muting their audio feed. They've got their whole uh, department um, instructing them on the call. Oh, I mean, got, who knows what's going four, on? They got a huge corporate board standing behind them, telling them every word that's going on and feeding them information. Um, I'm serious though, OPEC. If you need someone to sort of moderate and host these meetings, like you can reach me, Michael Tanner, OilandGas360.com. Um, I'm more than welcome to come in and host these things. We'll throw them live on oh, YouTube. Man. We'll market these things. Um, we would love to have OPEC come on as a sponsor of the show. Oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't think of a better moderator for that conversation than the expert Michael Tanner himself. <laughs> You're too kind. And it's unbelievably with OPEC. And all right, let's move in. One thing I need to bring up is we need to do, we need to talk Transglobe Energy Corporation and the no-no that they just did. <laughs> we were doing the math oh, earlier. Man. They yeah. got caught with the three-way callers, man. April 9th, they came out. And here's the announcement. Um, out, of Al- out of Alberta, they have, up in, they have uh, Transglobe Energy, like I mentioned, out of Canada and Alberta announced their updated oil hedge position for 2020. You get into the numbers. Oh, they're buying three-way callers. Oh no! And it's look and and it's about four hundred. It's about five hundred and fifty million barrels spread over quarter two, three, and four. It's killing me. 
Yeah, you know, clearly our our podcast did not make it up north, up the border. I mean, uh, we got to do a better job of, of spreading the word out there, man. I mean, these guys, you know, I thought we, we made it very clear our stance. Um, and then they come out with just this, they just drop this bomb. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to control, but it's okay. See, maybe they can tell us otherwise. No, and you know, University of Calgary. You're, 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 you, you have an alumni, Randy Neely. Looks like a great guy. Guy, we, we got, we got to touch yeah. it up a little bit. But, uh, but no, um, you know, really, when you look at it, the majority of they actually did about the other half of their, you know, hedge position was callers. Um, and and so when you look at the way oil might bounce back, if you are a firm believer that oil is going to stay low between twenty and thirty dollars. Uh, you know, I, not that I, not that I would recommend three-way callers, but I at least get the reason mm-hmm. why, because yeah. it is a lower, sort of a lower cost expense. Right. And that's what, you know, the CEO and, and president Randy Neely, who I mentioned, that's exactly what he points out at the reason why they did this. So not that I'm necessarily agreeing. I still think I'm still against three-way callers. And I think there's other ways to go around it, but if there was ever yeah. maybe a time to consider, maybe it's now, but if you were in three-way right. callers three months ago, at forty-five to fifty dollars with your range, oh yeah, you were in trouble. So now, you know, who, who knows? That's we'll cut, true. We'll cut him a little bit of slack, maybe. Yeah, I mean the Yeah, it's definitely different, different environment. I mean, the 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 thought is still the same, right? Mm. Three months ago in that forty-five and fifty-dollar price range, that you're man, you're thinking, man, these prices are pretty low. Really, how much lower can it go? And but you know, again, we're 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 in the same kind of the the same question today is yeah I mean I mean oil at twenty twenty two bucks a barrel I mean how much lower can that go but um, that's an interesting question hard. and I don't necessarily want to answer that question <laughs> so uh, bankruptcy wise I think that's really the story moving forward and we saw Whiting last mm-hmm. week um, or, or as a week and a half ago. Um, go under i know there's a big list of companies that are on the on on the, on the precipice you know you know you don't have to name anybody specifically but but if you'd like to we would love to have the name is there any you know thing you're looking out for on the bankruptcy side that that, that worries you because that's what worries me sort of moving forward moving as we move now into earnings season yeah i mean i think you got a, I think you got a ton of guys that are pretty close rumors just getting tossed around um WPX is is one of those guys. I think um, Apache, who you know, I, I used to work for Apache and, and great company, but just in a tough spot. I mean, it's again, it's hard. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of guys that are going to really be struggling here. So uh, I would expect to see the list to, to start piling up here. Yeah, and specifically with Apache, I highlighted them on Thursday in my podcast on our company to watch for a swing trade side. And I thought, you know, the charts look positive, you know, agreeing with Tomcat for the next week, week, two weeks. But from I, I mentioned this specifically, I want to bring it up now specifically because you brought up Apache. I am with you. I'm not, I'm bearish on them in the long term. I mean, you talk about $3 million or $3 billion market cap to $8 billion in debt right now. I just don't think they bring in mm-hmm. enough revenue. Um, one of their biggest Eagle for projects, I know you're familiar with this sort of just come out and been a dud. So mm-hmm. on the long term, really interesting. Now they do have some of that offshore stuff and I don't know how familiar you are with that. Do you know, how, how much do you know about what's going on with their, cause I know that's really one of their, their Suramine one is really one of their biggest projects moving forward. Am I correct? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Suriname, uh, offshore Guyana has been, uh, 
kind of the lifesaver. I think that the 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 analysts basically thought that well was going to come up dry, um, or the mm. the the second well, I guess. And um, yeah, they ended up making a very you know sizable discovery. It's right by the um, Hess and um, Exxon discoveries up there, if I'm not mistaken. And so that Apache's partnered with um, Total to take some of the capital because you know it's it's kind of out of their business model to be able to fund such a big project like that. So I think that is definitely um, a, a, a positive uh, long-term project for Apache. I think one thing that really burned them was the, the Alpine High um, play in, in the Delaware Basin, which uh, really never, never developed as I think as, as some at Apache would have, would have hoped. And I think that that's been the, the um, kind of knife in the heart right now. Yeah. And uh, offshore, if, if, if there's something that's maybe still profitable right now, um, it's not necessarily offshore. That stuff's getting extremely mm-hmm. expensive right now. Like you mentioned, um, the capital expenditures. Uh, but that's really interesting. And, and, and I think, you know, from a reservoir engineering perspective, you know, I, I definitely want to talk to a guy in reservoir here on the podcast. And maybe you can lend me the light because a lot of the times when you make these calls on these plays, you know, like, like, like let's just take Apache and Alpine Hills. I remember when that news came out, everybody would be that, – that was a huge boom. For mm-hmm. the price of stock for Apache. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then when you see the fallout, in, it's sort of like you get two weeks worth of great press and great stock news. And then all of a sudden it's a year sort yeah. of depression down. Um, it, it's, 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 I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it's tough. It's, uh, you know, you've got, it's always a battle, I think, between the reservoir engineering staff and executive management because right they want to get the headline they want to get this news out as soon as Mm -hmm. possible when there's some big discovery but there's so much uncertainty in what we do and um to be able to quantify the value of a discovery like that is very difficult and it takes a ton of data um and you know i think there was kind of a slight and this happens all the time slight disagreement of of what the actual results data show versus what the what the potential could be and so you got you know you come out and you make a big claim like you know discovered so many barrels or economic at whatever price when (laughs) reservoir engineers are sitting there cringing because they're like man we we really we haven't really proved any of this with near as much data as we need and that obviously takes time and so it's a tough battle between you know, being patient in how you disclose information like that versus mm-hmm. getting that pop and getting the market excited. Yeah, C-suite is, is very much inclined to take the headlines and run with it for a stock, but then it's very easy to lay mm-hmm. off your reservoir, guys, when it doesn't come through. So it, it's, <laughs> yeah. no, it's as sad as it sounds, unfortunately, it's kind of true. Um, you, get yeah. promote, you get C-suites, uh, get raises, the reservoir engineers get the layoffs, and really it was just a combination of, of, you know, just, you know, you're, it's always gambling when you go and drill these wells, you can have all this data and, and drill a great well and yep. it can just drill up dry. I mean, I'm not a reservoir engineer, but I think I'm qualified enough to, to tell you that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just ton of uncertainty. Um, you've got such small factors that can make the difference of economic versus non-economic projects. I mean, um it's always interesting to go back and look at old investor presentations and and see how many proved drilling locations there were and 
in certain plays. Um, you know, like we can go back to the Klein Shale was, you know, a big thing before the Wolf Camp. And everyone thought, oh, man, look at all these proved locations. We've got all this inventory, all these reserves. And then um, as you start to develop the field, <laughs> you start to realize it's not working out for whatever reason. And, and that's always thrown under the rug. But it always sounds promising in the investor presentations. I'll tell you that. That would be an interesting cross-sectional analysis going back and going really, really, really deep into all of these investor presentations back, way back in the day and seeing if you can pull some of that stuff. That would be awesome. Um, well, we really appreciate your time, Nick. And really, before we let you go, is there anything else stumbling around in your genius brain we need to hear about before we let you go? Man, I definitely wouldn't call it genius. I think this is a really great time, though, to just keep getting to keep stay tuned in with what's going on. I mean, uh, just the global the global oil and, and energy market right now. You've just got so much interesting stuff. So uh, keep listening to Mr. Tanner's podcast over here. It gets you up to date on the, on the latest news. And I will make sure to cut Nick's check next week. You know, really what I want to do right now before we wrap up is first give you a little behind the scenes of the podcast. Um, we record these over the weekend, and because it actually happened to be Easter, we actually um, nailed these out on Saturday. And, and, and so we were going off, uh, obviously, the rumors that Mexico was probably going to sign the agreement, but we weren't sure. And, you know, I'm sitting here. It's 4.30 Sunday afternoon. I just came back. Belly is full with some Easter. I hope, again, everyone really had a great Easter with either their friends or family, depending on how their quarantine is going. But I, I wanted to throw the, this final segment in there as First off, what the agreement was, which Mexico has officially agreed to sign the OPEC agreement, the U.S. and came in and said that Mexico only has to cut 100,000 barrels and the rest of the cuts are going to come from the U.S. It's going to be interesting. But really what what I want to point out is that the, the, the futures market is open now. It's been open for about 30 minutes and oil went all the way up to $24 and is now back down to 22.44. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm short oil this week just because I just think there's been so many rumors out out there that have been baked into this equation that unless you're seeing something out of the ordinary, I didn't think oil was going to go anywhere. And at least for the overnight session, short is the right bias to be on oil. That's why that's my bias for the week. But I am long energy equities in terms of my bias. So those are my two things. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys get back to work. Thank you for checking out the 360 Digital Bell closing podcast. We'll see you guys this afternoon for the digital ticker.